This meeting is being recorded. Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm a compulsive overeater, and um, thank you, Cynthia, for sticking with me all these times that we have uh, done this or attempted to do this. So I'm really thrilled to be here, and this is my home group, and so it's a special thing to be able to do this at my home group. Um, just to qualify, I, um, I've been in OA since 2014. Um I first went to my first OA meeting when I was in 2011, 2012. And I like to tell this story a lot because it's a funny story. Um, so um, I went to a meeting and all they did was talk about the foods that they ate. That's all that was the message. <laughs> so this is the funny part. So what I do is on my way home, I grab my favorite food. Is it okay to mention foods or is that yeah. going to... Okay. So my favorite trigger food is pizza. So on my way home, I get a pizza and I take it home and I eat it the whole time. The, I mean, I eat the whole thing, just like I would normally do before I went to the meeting. Um, so um, growing up, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah in the 80s. Um, I'm not Mormon, but my family is. And so there's always a sense of being the outsider in my family. Um I was always athletic. I was always very physically fit. Um, I'm a child of domestic violence. And so the safest place for me to be was to be outside of the home, which means running around, riding my bike, being with friends and so forth. Um, really didn't have a problem with my weight until, um, or my eating, not even my weight, it was my eating until my mother died in 2010. Um, it was a very emotional time for me. I didn't have any family around. Um, nobody wanted to say goodbye to my mom. And that was very painful. And I took my mom off life support after being in ICU for a week. And so um, I just ate and ate and ate. And I can still see my bedroom in Salt Lake to where I had stacks of pizza boxes lined up in my bedroom on top of my dresser and um i just became a compulsive overeater at that point um sorry i've got allergies and so they're kind of kicking my butt today but um so um became a compulsive overeater in 2010 um continued to do that until I once again went to OA when I moved to San Francisco in 2014, um, got a sponsor within a year or so, um, learned a lot from her. Um, we became pretty enmeshed though. It became more of a mother-daughter relationship than it did a sponsor and a sponsee relationship. So after a year or two, we just decided it wasn't going to work for either one of us. And that was a healthy decision at the time. Um, I should say that my top weight in OA has been 322 and that now I'm down to 210. Um, I haven't weighed myself lately. Um, so it might, I don't know what it is now none of my business. Um, I really struggled when I first came into the program because even though I believe in God and I, God has always sustained me in my life, I did not feel worthy of God to care or have, wasn't even not caring. It was more of just, um, 
you know, is this a big enough problem for God to want to solve for Sonia, you know, versus my own need to control it or try to control it or be out of control with it. Because there are so many problems in the world and I just felt like God had better things to do than help Sonia with her eating disorder. And so that took a couple of years of just really working on my own sense of worth and feeling worthwhile in God's eyes. Um, so I, I'm probably going to ramble a lot. I only, I, I were, had an 18 hour day yesterday, so not as prepared as I was hoping that I would be at this point. Um, so um, in 2010, development eating disorder, quickly got out of control. I ballooned up from my weight to 260 pounds. Actually, I was 220 in Salt Lake. And the reason it took me a while to figure out how bad the eating disorder was is because in Salt Lake, I biked everywhere. People would say they saw me biking more than they actually saw me walking on the streets. And so that kept my weight down um, for the six years I lived in Salt Lake. And um, so I didn't really, I knew I was compulsively overeating and eating, but I wasn't feeling the effects of it. And so joined OA here in 2014, had some success with the program, but it took me a couple of years with having a sponsor to um, gain abstinence. And that was a lot of relapses in between those times. Um, and um, when the pandemic hit, that's when I got serious about my weight problem and my eating disorder my weight had ballooned up to 322 pounds which I have never been that heavy in my life and it was truly terrifying and um, so I made the decision to have the bariatric surgery and there's a lot of controversy with that surgery within the OA world um, there has been a stigma of the surgery and I don't share that lightly with people especially those I don't know well. Um, I see it as a tool. I took nine months to make the decision. Uh, three months, I said, no, you know, I don't, I don't think this is for me. This is very restrictive. Um, I'm only sharing my own story. I'm not here to endorse or um, say do or don't get the surgery. Um, I believe in body autonomy and I think we all need to make those decisions for ourselves. Um, for me, it wasn't just because of the weight, it was also my health problems. Um, my dad was a really interesting person. Um, he, I can look back and I don't know if he was a compulsive overeater, but I remember before he was diagnosed with diabetes with going into the stores and grabbing handfuls of candy and chocolate and all of that stuff. And um, then my dad became diabetic and all of that stopped. Um, I learned growing up with my family because my dad was so overweight and my sister became overweight as a direct result of being abused. And um, sorry, that's a very painful part of my childhood is, is seeing my sister go through that. And um, but with my father, it was always feast or famine with food. It's like my dad was a chef. He was a very temperamental chef. Um, he would walk off jobs if there was something in the kitchen or a person he didn't like. And so they create a lot of economic insecurity in my family. 
Um, if it wasn't for my mother, we would have be, been homeless many, many times. But because she was a breadwinner of the family and she worked 30 years as a janitor, that, that did not happen to us. And for that, I am extremely grateful. And I share that because I think that illustrates how connected I was to my mom and with her dying. Um, since this is about amends, I want to talk a little bit about the amends that I ended up making with my family after my mother died. Um, like I said, nobody came to say goodbye to my mother when she was dying. And that hurt me, not because it hurt me, but because it hurt her. Um, and it took me four years to forgive my family. And um, that's why I love that forgiveness is such a big part of step eight. Because before we can truly reconcile ourselves with other people, we need to reconcile ourselves with what happened. You know, what, what happened back then and what happens now and how do we go forward in that? And it was only after four years that I realized that I was told my family's English. So we don't always explain these things to each other or deal with grief very well. Um, was that they just couldn't say goodbye to my mom. It was just too hard. The grief was just too strong. Now, if somebody would have explained that to me, I don't, I don't think I would be a Oops. compulsive overeater today. And, um, but, you know, one, one sad part of the story is my aunt, who I'm very close to, uh, she's kind of the family matriarch now that my grandmother's gone, is she said, you know, every day I went out to the mailbox, because they live up in rural Wyoming, and I hope for a letter from you. And that just broke my heart. So, um, you know, I, you know, I made my amends to my, my family with the fact that I didn't talk to them for four years. I didn't try to understand what was going on for them because I was so caught up in my own grief. And I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but when you have huge grief like that, it can be hard to let other people to understand, oh, other people are having their own grief as well. You know, but I just felt totally isolated and abandoned and that it was my whole job to help my mom get to the other side, which, which I did and was a very um, bittersweet experience, which I wouldn't give up for anything. Um, so we'll fast forward a little bit, been in the program since 2014. Um, have made a lot of progress, you know, had some backslides. Um, I, uh, I struggle with turning everything over to higher power. I still am working on that today. Um, and it's not that I don't, it's not because I don't believe in higher power. It's just that there are parts of my life that I have not been exploring and that now I am currently exploring. So um, that's how it was before. It was, it was a nightmare. I had no escape from it. It was insidious. Um, since being in the program, I've grown a lot within myself. And um, I guess what I want to talk about now is um, the daily reflection. I asked Cynthia if she could bring up the daily reflection. It's from yesterday, but I feel like it's really appropriate for today's um, discussion about step eight. Oh. And I can go ahead and read that. Coming right up. 
<laughs> Sorry. If not, I could look on my phone. No, I got it right here. Okay. My desktop, and it'll be up in one second. I'm just opening it. And here we go. Thank you for your patience. No problem. Okay. Okay, so I'll look backward. First, we take a look backward and try to discover where we have been at fault. Next, we make a vigorous attempt to repair the damage we have done. 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, page 77. As a traveler on a fresh and exciting AA journey of recovery, I experienced a newfound peace of mind and the horizon appeared clear and bright rather than obscure and dim. Reviewing my life to discover where I had been at fault seemed to be such an arduous and dangerous task. It was painful to pause and look backward. I was afraid I might stumble. Couldn't I put the past out of my mind and just live in my new golden present? I realized that those in the past whom I had harmed stood between me and my desire to continue my movement towards serenity. I had to ask for courage to face those persons from my life who still lived in my conscience, to recognize and deal with the guilt that their presence produced in me. I had to look at the damage I had done and become willing to make amends. Only then could my journey of the spirit resume. From the Daily Reflections, copyright 1990, AA World Service, all rights reserved. So one book I have, and I don't know if other people are interested in it. Let's see if I can pull it up. The Big Book Dictionary and Concordance for Included Words. So I looked up the word amends, and I'll just read it here. And it's a wonderful dictionary because it's very, it's very thin, and it's very concise. And it will list the page numbers to where amends is listed in the big book. And here we go. A return for something lost or suffered, usually through the fault of another, to set right something that is wrong. And then in parentheses it says amending. So um, I really like the definition, um, especially setting to set right from something that is wrong, because um, that's exactly what we're doing when we make our amends is that we are going back and saying this is where I was at fault and this is where I take my responsibility. Um, currently I'm making an amends to my ex-girlfriend. It's been a very interesting journey to do that um, because I for the first time am in touch with how much my father suffered from his father. My grandfather was a raging alcoholic. He um, was very abusive. My father's parents divorced in the 40s, which was unheard of. That's how bad the abuse was. My dad had a, my dad's father would um, break into his piggy bank to steal money to go buy alcohol. My dad would have to go to my dad, his father's job. His dad was a coal miner to get the paychecks so that rent would get paid. My dad would have to go drag his father out of bars and stuff like that. So my dad had to drop out of school at the ninth grade. And I share this about my father because it's a big part of me making amends to my girlfriend. Um, 
And my dad had to drop out of school in ninth grade. He had to work three jobs to support his mother and his seven, seven uh, siblings. Um, in the breakup with my girlfriend, I recognized that not only had I inherited uh, certain character defects from my father, but I'd also inherited certain defects from my grandfather. And that the defects that I heard my father, my father had received from his father. And um, it's interesting because I'm not resentful about this realization. I'm, I'm at peace. And I'm at, I'm at the ability to say this is still my part in it. It doesn't take away from my actions in that relationship with my girlfriend, but it does explain a lot. And I think that's the best part of making amends is that self-forgiveness that we all have to go through because we have to forgive ourselves if we want to move on from whatever happened, you know, because we all play a part in our lives. And um, yeah, so um, I'm going to be making my amends in September and I've been putting a lot of thought and effort into it. And um and that how much time do i have left um, we're, we're done with the time but if you want to wrap up i can't believe it i never talk to time so thank you very much for listening and i look forward to your shares thank you so much